Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. So continuing um, with our readings tonight, we have um, Colossians 4, uh, verses 2 to the end of the chapter, verse 8, and that's on page 835 of your Bible there. So 835, uh, Colossians 4, 2 to 18. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Herapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter is read to you, has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Make it through the jungle of wires. Uh, let me encourage you, if uh, you've not uh, kept that part of the Bible open, can you reopen it? Let me uh, add my welcome. Uh, let me thank you as well uh, for your prayers. Uh, it's a great privilege to uh, open up and share the Word of God with you uh, in this uh, our last week in Kirribilli. Uh, God has been very gracious uh, to us in being here. Uh, and there's a great privilege Uh, that we are one in Christ and we have a God who is living and speaks to us. Uh, uh, If you've not been with us in Colossians in the past few weeks, Colossians is a beautiful letter. It's a letter uh, the Apostle Paul wrote. He was in prison. Uh, He wrote it about 60 AD. He wrote it to people he didn't know, uh, Christians that he'd heard of secondhand. And in so many ways, that's what makes it such a fresh and relevant letter for us, doesn't it? You know, we don't know the Apostle Paul. He doesn't exactly know us. He's been dead for a while. Uh, And yet God has preserved it for our benefit. Uh, and it speaks so clearly into our lives. 
Uh, let's pray that God this night might speak to each one of us. Our Lord and Father, we thank you for uh, your word. Uh, we thank you that it is powerful and life-giving. We thank you that it transforms us, uh, that as we look at your word, it shows us not just who you are, but who we are. Uh, Father, we pray that uh, as we look at this word, you would, by your spirit, uh, apply it to our hearts and minds, uh, make clear to us exactly who you are, uh, make clear to us exactly who we are, uh, and help us to become more and more like you, we pray. Uh, Father, we who come tonight, uh, perhaps burden, relieve us. Uh, we who come tonight uh, feeling proud, humble us. Uh, we who come tonight assured with you, fill us with joy. Uh, Father, speak to us tonight, we pray. Amen. Now, let me ask, how big is your Christian world? How big is your Christian world? Uh, earlier this week, I got to chat to a man. Uh, he had a clear faith in Jesus. Uh, he still prays regularly. Uh, his desire, he said to me, is to live pleasing Christ. But he wants to do it all alone. Uh, he hasn't been involved in a church for a number of years. And, and in all honesty, he's quite content with that. Uh, and as we spoke, uh, I could actually sympathise with his situation. Uh, a lot of what he shared about some of his church experiences in the past sounded awfully like uh, you know, cult-like behaviour. I could understand why he was hurt and I could understand why he wasn't that itchingly keen to get back into it. But what it's done is left him with a, a Christian world of two. It's him and Jesus. Uh, he's taken what I think is a, a fairly popular route. Uh, he's gone down the road of private religion. Uh, next week, I'm going to be in Lithgow. Uh, Lithgow, last census, 5,283 adults ticked that they were Anglican. Yeah, and, and thankfully the building there is bigger than the one here. Um, <laughs> and yet still we wouldn't fit them all. About 120 uh, go to the only Anglican church in town. Now, the size of your Christian world uh, isn't just a question, though, for irregular churchgoers. You know, there are lots of people who, who go regularly, but in practice they're isolationists. You know, they're in church here every week, uh, but no one around them would know the state of their soul. No one would know their, their spiritual triumphs, their spiritual struggles, and they don't know about anyone else's situation either. And so they live in, a, a, in what is a smaller Christian world than it would first appear. And even we who, if you call yourself one of these people, we who are committed to church, we who are committed to our local church, uh, we can get consumed uh, into a suburb-sized Christian life, a suburb-sized Christian world. You know, we, we, we throw ourselves into supporting those that we get to see here every week. Uh, we pray for our Connect group. Uh, we drop meals around to church friends in need and, and we look after them really well. And they're all fantastic things. Don't get me wrong. I think they're great. And I think... Our church does it really well, and it's a sign of the Spirit being at work in us. They're great things. But our love for those of us who are, who are nearby can be so fulfilling that our Christian world becomes parochial. Uh, the Anglican Prayer Book has this wonderful invitation to pray. Uh, I'll do it. It's a bit jargony, but stick with me. Let us pray for the whole state of Christ's church militant here on earth. Okay, I know the language is a bit different to what we use, but the prayer is general in nature because it's big in scope. Uh, essentially, it's praying for every Christian currently alive on the planet at the moment. That's a big prayer. 
Yeah, and a lot of churches that are strong on you know, the local church, the local community, uh, you'd never hear a prayer like that. Their Christian world's pretty small. And let me ask you, is your Christian world too small? I want to say if it's anything less uh, than a worldwide concern, uh, Colossians 4 will be for you an encouragement and an eye-opener. Uh, we just read the, the end to uh, Paul's letter to these Christians. He hasn't met them, uh, but still, verse 3, he asks them, pray for us, pray for me. Uh, verse 5, he's interested in telling them how to live. He wants to encourage them to, to make the most of uh, their opportunities. Uh, from verse 7 on, he starts name-dropping this wide variety of people, people uh, he variously describes as dear brothers, uh, as fellow servants, as fellow prisoners. Uh, and he's not met them, but he's got a big Christian world. Yeah, and today we're invited to have a, a big Christian world, a world like Paul's. Yeah, and if you're here today, uh, here tonight, still checking Christianity out, I hope uh, you're encouraged about what you might be entering into. You know, one phrase for all of us to remember, uh, life in Christ is partnership. If you remember nothing else, remember that. Life in Christ is partnership. Uh, it's partnership uh, for the reason that the message of Jesus transforms the universe. It is a big, big message. Uh, so this, this partnership of chapter 4 is built on a message uh, that has cosmic proportions. You know, the message of Jesus is not just to, to get your life back on track, even though it does do that. You know, chapter 3, if you were with us last week, it covers all sorts of, you know, down-to-earth topics from speech to greed to sex to work to forgiveness and family life. It's concerned with the daily grind, uh, but the gospel in the first three chapters, if you've been with us in Colossians, it's, it's a letter about the gospel writ large. It's a, it's a message of cosmic massive proportions. It's about overturning creation. So in 1 verse 6, uh, it's about the gospel which bears fruit all around the world. It's not limited to a, a particular nation. It's not limited to a particular people or a subculture. It is for everyone. The whole world it's expected to bear fruit in. Uh, a little later in chapter 1, in, in 12 and following, uh, through faith in Jesus and what Jesus has done, individuals are being transformed and transferred from uh, one spiritual realm, uh, that of darkness, into the spiritual realm of the kingdom of light. You know, it's not just even about this creation, it's about uh, beyond what we can see, it's about spiritual realities. Uh, by the end of chapter 1, uh, Paul is explaining how Jesus Christ is supreme. You know, he is supreme over all creation. He's in charge of, of this one in all its kind of fading beauty. Uh, and even more, he's supreme over the one that's coming. You know, the perfect creation that's yet to be. Uh, Paul, Paul explains in 2.15 that at the cross, Jesus stripped... Uh, the spiritual and human authorities of all their power to condemn humanity. They can't do that anymore. Uh, he has stripped and shamed Satan. And so by the start of chapter 3, uh, Jesus gets described as, as the one place, the only place where true and eternal life is secured, the only place where real life is hidden. You know, get, get, this is big-scale stuff. The, the gospel is not just about individuals. Uh, it's a message that goes across culture. Uh, it's about the transformation uh, of this creation. It's about the spiritual realm being turned upside down. You know, it is a big-scale message that means you can't stay in your own little Christian world. There is no room for private religion when you serve a God who's turning over this world. You know, we need to be careful that we don't fall into the trap of thinking that the Christian message can be measured on you know, what it does for me, what it does for you. 
I've not heard it for a while, but um, there used to be a really popular uh, gospel presentation, a thing you would learn to, to tell uh, people who don't know about the gospel, tell them uh, what the gospel was. It started, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Uh, and it goes on from there. And let me say that there's a significant kernel of truth in that. But I fear it feeds that natural misperception uh, that Jesus' work is all about me. Yeah, and the Christian life is all about helping my world. You know, the, the big uh, church growth strategy from the mid-80s on was uh, running what they called seeker services. Uh, the idea of this was to make church more accept accessible uh, to, to those who weren't used to church. And, and again, you go, there's, there's a fantastic truth at the heart of that. We do want to make church open to all. We want to make it accessible to anyone and everyone. No matter your background, you can come along and you can get something out of it and you understand. But the critique... Uh, has been that it produces Christians whose interest in Jesus is limited to what does it do for me? You know, how does Jesus help my marriage? Uh, what can he do for me at the office this week? Rather than this, the reality of a supreme and sufficient Jesus who at the cross has overturned the created order. You know, the critique is it turns the, the cosmic Christ into, into something as small as you know, the cosmo Christ, you know, one who deals with issues. See, the message of Jesus isn't just about individual, it's about transforming the universe. And so if you get that, it, it invites you, look beyond your own lives. Look beyond your own suburb. Uh, look beyond that kind of parochial existence. And it gives us here a chance to actually be involved in something of massive proportions, you know, to be involved in something of a world scale. And the big indicator, the big litmus test that you understand the scope of Christ, who he is and how grand he is, is in your partnership. I was just dropping. Do you mind that? Is that disturbing you? That looks firm, Ed. I knew this would give me trouble all night. Yeah, the litmus test that you understand exactly who Jesus is will be seen in your partnership. Uh, if, if you know just how grand the scheme is that God is involved in through the Lord Jesus, you'll realise alone you can't do it justice. You know, the size of your Christian world matters because life in Christ is about partnership. Uh, and Colossians 4, uh, with all its name-dropping of various hard-working Christians, with all the, the kind of requests it makes for, for you know, these Christians he's never met to pray for him and vice versa, it's about a partnership that's built on an understanding of Jesus, that Jesus is massive. Uh, and it spells that, that partnership out in three ways for our benefit, three, three ways for you to test your own partnership. Uh, first, that partnership in Christ is purposeful. Okay, we, we've got a common goal with every Christian around the world that we want the gospel, the news of Jesus, to go out. Uh, so in verse 3, Paul asks, pray for him, pray for us. But it's not the prayer that you expect. So you, you might have noticed at the end, at verse 18, uh, he says, remember my chains. That is, he is writing this letter from prison. He's locked up. Yeah, and it's not the prayer, at least that I would pray or the request for prayer that I would pray from there. You know, if I, was, if I was there, I'd be going, please pray for us, pray for me, I'm in prison, pray that the guards would be a bit nicer, uh, pray that I'd get a more comfortable cell, uh, pray that food would improve, uh, preferably pray that the, you know, the doors to the cell would open and I could wander out one afternoon. Uh, what does he pray for? No, no, uh, pray that the doors would be open for the message. 
Pray that there will be more chances, he says, for uh, us to speak to others about the mystery of Christ. Uh, By mystery, not mysterious, but the idea of a secret made known. You know, that Jesus, uh, the the big secret is that Jesus wasn't just the saviour of the Jews, but it had always been God's plan that he would be saving people from every culture and every background. You know, and that disregard for cultural barriers has actually contributed to, to Paul getting jail time. Yeah, when I'm ill, I, I pray. I suspect you do too, and, and I'll be honest, most of my prayers when I'm sick focus on, please, Lord, make me better uh, and do it quickly. You know, for many of us, when there are difficulties at, at home, there are difficulties at the office, they consume our thoughts, they consume our prayers. You know, Paul is here, he's in prison, but what's his priority? He wants people to hear about Jesus. That's his purpose. You know, he invites us to share in a kind of big world Christianity that is bigger than your circumstances because there's something even bigger and more important. Yeah, and our, our partnership in the gospel is, it, it's that purpose. We want to get other people to hear about Jesus. We want to share that truth. And part of that is we ask for other Christians' help in, in doing that. Part of it is encouraging them to maximise their possibilities in front of them. Not that Paul is a, a bully, not that he's crass when it comes to him making Jesus known. Uh, in verse 4, uh, his goal is that he would proclaim with clarity. That is, he wants anyone uh, of any background, knowledge of Jesus, to, to actually have a clearer understanding of Jesus and what he's done from their conversation. Uh, and he encourages them to, to be wise towards outsiders. Uh, by outsiders, we want to be careful. Outsiders, not a, it's not a term of exclusion. It's not saying we want to keep people out. It's just a recognition of the truth. Uh, that there are some people who are in Jesus and their life is in him and their life is eternal and they have new life and there are others who are still doing things their own way and they remain in the kingdom of darkness and they remain alien from God and they remain enemies of God. Uh, They are outside. We don't want to keep them there. That's just where they are. And, And wisdom here means making the most of the short time to present Jesus to them clearly and plainly and attractively. Not shoving it down their throats. Uh, in verse 6, he, he speaks about it's, it's having a, a conversation style that is full of grace and seasoned with salt. And gracious speech, that is speech that is more generous to others than they deserve. That's gracious speech, isn't it? You know, our speech is marked by uh, gentleness in the argument. It's marked by uh, encouragement towards those who are critical of us. Uh, it's marked by, you know, forgiveness to the flawed and and speaking politely to those who are rude you know we we have speech that doesn't just speak about jesus and yes he graciously died to save sinful people no we have a style that's consistent with that message yeah it's uh paul uses the description it's salty speech uh salty speech it 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 had both flavoring and preservative qualities you know salty speech is is attractive you know the kind of intriguing topics and loving manner that people want to hear more of and they want to chat to you again because it was pleasurable you know speech that preserves speech that gives words of truth that bless and benefit the lives of others that's how we speak you don't need uh, clever arguments you don't need slick presentations to make the most of every opportunity wise gracious salty speech that's what impacts people uh, the, the Christian teacher I know of, I, I love his story. Uh, he was on playground duty. Um, 
playground duty, for those of you who uh, know a bit about teaching, is, is not desirable. You try and minimise the number of times you're out there. Uh, but he was on playground duty and uh, another teacher who wasn't on duty came out and joined him. Uh, this other teacher explained uh, that when the Christian, this Christian guy wasn't in the staff room, the quality of the conversation was so low, uh, he'd rather join him in the playground. He'd rather just get out of there and he'd kind of go hang out with the... That's the impact of gracious speech. That's the clear attraction of Jesus. That's how we're wise and ready to answer anybody, in the way we speak to them. Yeah, and life in Christ is a, is a partnership in us all doing that in getting the gospel out. As someone put it, if Christians felt the same urgency to reach others with the gospel as they do about securing their own welfare in this world, our churches would see amazing results. Yeah, and there are amazing results, aren't there? When, when we get a big Christian world like Paul and we start working together with others, you know, in partnership with others, we can actually do great things in getting the message of Jesus pro- pro- clearly proclaimed. I've been encouraged the majority of churches uh, in Lithgow uh, got together for a, a town-wide mission early in the year in May. They called it Reality. They got an international speaker out. You know, they were doing great things because they, they're working together. Um, it's the big Christian world thinking. That's what I see every week when uh, Christchurch Lavender Bay, just down the road, very graciously uh, let us have a congregation that meets in their building. Christian partnership is purposeful. If you understand all that Jesus is on about, you're in that purpose. You're seeking that purpose. And so let me say, if if you've not been doing it, if you've not been encouraging others in that same purpose, I want you to think of one person who's not part of church here. And with that name, uh, this week I want you to make contact with them and encourage them to make the most of every opportunity to get the gospel out. Uh, Christian partnership, partnership in Christ is purposeful. Uh, it's also prayerful. Uh, secondly, it's prayerful. Paul recognises the best way that you can get and be a uh, partner with, with a Christian you've never even met uh, is by prayer. So verse 2, uh, he says, Be devoted. Yeah, devotion is commitment, it's regularity, it's focus. He says it should be done watchfully. Uh, that's the same instruction that Jesus gave to his disciples the night he was crucified or the night before. Uh, he said to them, watch and pray or else you'll fall to temptation. Uh, but at the same time, devoted prayer is thankful. That is, Paul is expecting that we pray in these times knowing that they are both spiritually dangerous and spiritually good. Uh, and he encouraged them by, you know, verse 12, one of their own, a hometown boy, uh, Epaphras, he is an example that they know of devoted prayer. In verse 12, you notice the way it's described, he wrestles in prayer for them, that they might be mature in faith. It's hard work, it's a wrestle for him to pray for them. Now, we, we mustn't under, underestimate either the, the difficulty or the power of that kind of partnership. Uh, Satan doesn't fear prayerless good works. And Satan doesn't fear prayerless gospel sharing. Uh, Billy Graham, he's one of the, uh, the great servants of Christ, I'd say, of all time, certainly of the 20th century. Uh, he's preached tirelessly for decades. He's preached across continents. He's preached to hundreds, to thousands. Uh, possibly he's preached to millions with, with the kind of internet age. Uh, he's in his 90s. He was in hospital last week. He just got out and uh, he's still thinking about uh, how he might get another preaching opportunity to explain Jesus to people. Um, he is a great and famous servant of the Lord, uh, but he is under you know, kind of no illusion uh, that he's achieved this without the help of others. Uh, you know, he wrote uh, this in a book I've been reading. 
There is not enough room in this book to record the stories I've received from people who have graciously supported my ministry, some for 60 years. I've learned so much from them as I recall their commitment to pray for the work of the Lord. A young lady once mentioned that her disabled grandmother prayed for our crusade team until she died. She had written our names in her Bible. This is humbling. It is also convicting. What lessons there are to be learned from this faithful saint. God forbid that we should ever retire from prayer, the sweetest work of the soul. Prayer for others is is hard. Uh, It's especially hard to pray for those who who you don't know well or they're not in your circle anymore. Uh, It requires devotion. It's a wrestle. It's it's really easy to... like. I, I pray all the time for the things in my immediate life and those around me, but to pray for those who are in partnership bigger than that, you know, in my experience, you need some structure to pull that off. Uh, you know, I'm quick to pray for my own situation, but I need my, my lists of people who I used to be at church with, so I keep praying for them. You know, I need email reminders of uh, the situations of others around the world. Uh, just this week, I got emails uh, about prayer situations in Cambodia, Townsville, Melbourne, uh, the UK, New Zealand, Vietnam and India. And to be honest, I wouldn't have prayed for any of those places without them. <laughs> wouldn't have thought of them. Life in Christ is partnership. And again, if you've never done it before, commit to praying for one group of Christians you've never met. Keep it simple. Don't aim too big. Just pray two things for them. Pray that doors might open, that they share the message, and pray that they might mature in their faith. Christian partnership is purposeful. It's prayerful. Uh, Thirdly, partnership overcomes barriers. Thirdly and finally. Uh, the, The names that Paul drops in Colossians... I know some of them are weird. We don't know them, but they're an interesting group for their diversity. You know, Paul partners with people across geography, across culture, across uh, rank and socioeconomic status. Uh, he mentions Onesimus in verse 9. Uh, from another of Paul's letters, we know that Onesimus is a slave. And then a few verses later, verse 14, there's the esteemed physician Luke. Get it? it just cuts across class. Uh, Luke, he's a Gentile like most of the list, but in verse 10 and 11, uh, Mark and Justus are mentioned. These guys are part of the circumcision group. Uh, that was a, a kind of ultra-keen, hardcore Jews. Uh, but they have thrown away their religious entitlements that, like Paul, they can muck in and serve others. You know, verse 15, uh, he breaks with kind of culture of the day. He mentions the important work of a woman named Nympha. Yet the, the gospel cuts across the barriers we normally put up. We work with those we wouldn't normally associate with. Um, even better, gospel partnership overcomes the barrier of failure. So that Mark who's mentioned in verse 10, he gets a mention in Acts 15. Uh, he is the reason Paul and Barnabas uh, split up and, and parted ways and couldn't work together anymore. Uh, in a previous missionary journey, uh, Mark was with him and for whatever reason he backed out and he left Paul high and dry. But in verse 10... Paul wants to make sure Mark is fully welcomed. Welcome a failure like him. You know, Onesimus, he's described in verse 9 as a faithful and beloved brother. That's a great description of a slave. It's even better if you read Paul's other letter to Philemon, you discover uh, Onesimus is a runaway slave. Paul actually had to step in and make reconciliation for this guy. Uh, in verse 14, Demas is mentioned. Uh, he's a little more sobering because later in Paul's life, uh, in 2 Timothy 4, we found out that Demas abandoned Paul, loving the world. He loved the world too much. Yeah, partnership in Christ goes beyond the barriers we'd like to put up. It goes beyond the cultural ones. It goes beyond even the personal ones. Yeah, it challenges us to actually forgive and invite and work with and invite into partnership those we don't think are worthy. 
But the great news for that is it gives us confidence, doesn't it? Because uh, I read those lists and, and I think, Mark, yeah, that could be me, not just because we have the same name, but, you know, I've failed. Uh, and maybe you've failed too. But that doesn't overcome you being able to be useful in partnership with others. You know, many years ago, I, um, in youthful enthusiasm, I gave advice to a younger Christian man uh, and really it was a burden rather than liberation for him. Now, I suspect some of the advice I gave was right, but the way I did it was um, uh, so unhelpful that it was wrong. Uh, and I wrote a letter and I apologised. And yeah, Thankfully, because Christian partnership is in Christ to overcome sin, our failures are not the final word. C.S. Lewis writes beautifully, no amount of falls will really undo us if we keep picking ourselves up each time. Uh, we shall, of course, be very muddy and tattered children by the time we reach home. But the bathrooms are all ready, the towels are put out, uh, the clean clothes are in the airing cupboard. The only fatal thing is to lose one's temper and give up. It's when we notice the dirt that God is most present in us. It is a very sign of his presence. Now, the gospel, uh, it, it, it overcomes every barrier. And again, as you consider the variety of Christians that you are connected to, does it reflect the universal, all-powerful Christ and, and the, the breadth of his church. I read in Colossians 4 this week, I felt challenged personally to, to not simply be focused on my patch, but to actually get think bigger, you know, to, to not be so consumed by the local work I'm doing that I forget my role in what Christ is doing around the world. Life in Christ is partnership. Because the message of Jesus is about transforming not just little lives, but the whole world, the whole cosmos. In lots of ways, I, uh, Colossians 4 has been a beautiful part of the gospel and part of God's word for me to finish my time uh, here in Kirribilli. Now, we leave uh, for Lithgow. And to be honest, we find it really difficult. We have such a deep affection for our church family here. But in Christ, it is good that we go. It's good that we go. Because uh, we're going uh, with the same purpose that you stay here, to make Christ known. You know, we go uh, knowing that the distance is, you know, not a reason to stop partnership. You know, we go knowing that uh, it will expand both your and our Christian world. And most importantly, we go uh, knowing and confident of your prayers for us, just as we will keep praying for you. Let me pray. Our Lord and Father, we are thankful for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for him who rules this creation and the one to come. We thank you for him who by the cross has brought a people of his own. We thank you that him there is life and life for the whole world, a reordering of this creation. Father, give us a sense of who Jesus is. Uh, excite us to be involved in something much bigger uh, than what our little lives could be. Uh, Father, fill us with a passion to be involved in that, uh, that partnership and that purpose to make Jesus known everywhere and help others make him known around the world. Uh, strengthen us when we're weak. Father, give us uh, the ability to wrestle in prayer and not give up. Give us devotion to bringing uh, these concerns before you. And Father, we pray that no barrier would get in the way 
of us working with others for the cause and the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we pray these things for your son's glory and in his name. Amen.